everybody knows I'm very passionate about the natural food industry. I'm thrilled to have Andrew Kneer as my guest. He's a CEO, president, co-founder of Yellow Fruit. He's going to talk about that. And another interesting venture that he uh, co-founded a couple years ago called Freebrary. And we're going to talk about that. And he's going to give us some his his vision on the future of the industry. And we're going to have a good, good, good time today. This session will last uh, uh, 15 minutes. And thank you. Welcome to the Bruce Singer <laughs> uh, Zoom. Not podcast, just a Zoom event that we're doing. And uh, welcome. Thanks, Bruce. Happy to be here. Yeah. So what can you tell us? Tell us your story about uh, free about Yellow Fruit, how you got into it, and, uh, and that's your story. For sure. So Yellow Fruit, uh, for your viewers, is a frozen dessert like ice cream um, that we make from bananas instead of dairy. So it's a non-dairy uh, product. It's made here in Ontario. Uh, but sold across the country. Um, it's a grocery store product, and we make it in three flavors. It's organic, it's vegan, it sort of checks all the boxes in the natural food space, uh, peanut-free, so great for families and school-safe. Um, and this ice cream, essentially, this non-dairy ice cream, is something that we um, that sort of came from a personal uh, journey. Uh, my wife and I, my co-founder Claire, um, started the company a few years ago after feeding, you know, sort of a frozen banana mush to our kids and <laughs> wondering if we could turn it into a product. That's um, unique. Very unique. Yeah. So it took, you know, there's a lot of science that goes into ice cream. So our, our journey took us through uh, product development from, you know, from the chemistry to the manufacturing. It took us through brand development starting with things like even the name that was named something else to start, um, you know, the trademark journey, packaging journey. We, we've sort of gone through um, all the same hurdles and challenges that I think a lot of small businesses go through. Um, I think maybe unique for us was our desire to go right to scale. So this wasn't a product that we made at home and then sold at the farmer's market for 10 years and then you know, eventually scaled up. We we literally designed it uh, to be commercialized and went you know right to uh, scale production. Um, and there were a couple of reasons for that. So my background in in marketing um, really sort of led me on this path of um, making something that could appeal to a wide audience, uh, fit the trends, uh, which you know we had talked about a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it had great unit economics so that, you know, we could, we could self-fund and, and eventually once we kind of got out from under our startup uh, loans and things like that, could be a, a profitable business. So that's sort of, um, you know, how we got going. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun company, fun, fun brand, fun product, um, and sort of family fun is, is the... Um, is kind of the the approach that we take to everything that we do because everybody likes ice cream and not everybody can eat ice cream. So having a non-dairy option is really uh, is really great. Did you name some of the ice creams after your kids? <laughs> we did, yeah. So so each, each of the favorites, each of the flavors are actually favorites of my kids. So uh, Claire and I have three three children, Monty, Eddie, and Holly, and so. Um, Holly's favorite mango is actually her favorite. Um, Monty's favorite cool. strawberry and Eddie's favorite chocolate. So it was sort of a, like a cute brand thing, uh, but it also is actually their favorite flavors. That's um, 
Yeah. When it came to developing other flavors, people would ask, you know, are we going to have more kids? And, you know, so the answer was no, but it's more about the, um, the idea. So we can keep that going. We've got four other um, developed products that are uh, named after, you know, other family members and things like that. So we can kind of keep that going. That's pretty cool. So let me share, share with the audience. What are the big lessons? There's always uh, as entrepreneurs as we're both entrepreneurs as entrepreneurs, there's always what I call the do or die lessons. You know what I mean? For sure. What's one big lesson you had that that you'd like to share with people in your industry as an entrepreneur in the natural food industry? Um, I have a I have a number of of great uh, lessons that I've learned. Uh, it's you know this is one of those industries and businesses where you know if you don't have the the right kind of positive attitude, you can find yourself saying you know why is everything not going our way. Um, daily, right? There's always something that's going to come up. Um, yesterday, just yesterday for me, yeah. it was, you know, getting a quote for strawberry and realizing that the price of strawberry had gone up yet again. Um, so inflation and things like that are really, you know, killing us. But back to the lesson question, um, I think you, you learn things that you don't know um, when you have to tackle them. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm a marketing and sales guy. I didn't know a lot about product development. I didn't know really anything about manufacturing. So there were some general lessons there of just sort of how things work, quote unquote, how things work. But then there's the layer of once you know how they should work, then there's how they really work. And so kind of the, the politics of an industry, Mm -hmm. right? So you might be working with one manufacturer. You don't know the dynamics between that manufacturer and other manufacturers, between that manufacturer and the distribution supply chain uh, ecosystem, right? So you sort of learn the underlying unspoken stuff, the politics almost of each industry. And there's politics in everything, um, you know, from the distribution system and how different logistics companies work together and, and, and you know, they might work really well together, but hate each other's guts or love each other, but don't do anything together. So there's, there's sort of all these underlying um, soft politics that you have to figure out that nobody can really tell you, although the more people you talk to, the more you can glean. Um, So learning that kind of stuff early on uh, before you have to spend money, I think is a really good lesson. So like talking to people in these industries that are going to be critical to your success. So critical for, for our success is really manufacturing of the product because we co-pack our, our product because dairy equipment is very expensive. So at scale, you need to work with someone who has the equipment, the storage, the big yep. freezers, tanks, stuff like that. Um, and then same thing, be, being a frozen, deep frozen product. So not just like frozen vegetables, but like ice cream frozen um, our distribution and, and supply chain really needs to be um, buttoned down, right? So the, the, the logistics companies that take ice cream to stores are different than um, a lot of the other just yeah. you know, freight companies. Um, and so that, that just means that things are a little more expensive. They could be, uh, there could be things that you need to learn about that. So back to your question about lessons, it's like you need to kind of learn that ecosystem before you have to then partner with somebody, right, and and spend a bunch of money or really commit to one thing. Um, so I think the lesson is 
talk to lots of people before you have to commit. Um, so we had a couple of years worth of product development, but at the same time, I was nurturing some relationships and and trying to learn from uh, others in in the business. Cool. Uh, you mentioned something earlier. I want to ask you. There's two questions. There's one question and two questions actually. Okay. What? So what's next? What's the what's your plan for 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 yellow fruit going forward? And you mentioned one of the challenges is supply chain. The cost of raw materials is going up. Mm-hmm. And how is that going to? Is that I guess is that how do you deal with that? Is yeah. just, everybody knows that's just the way it is, and you just uh, no. It's one of the. So I'll answer that that question first. Yeah. So I think manufacturers really get squeezed, and we we've seen recently the the Loblaws Frito Lay thing happening as like a an Everest example of the problem, but, but it happens at every level. Um, the, the challenge is retailers. Um, they, they are the kind of the end point before you get to a customer and they control that price on shelf, you know, and assuming they're doing everything legally, you are not, you can't set your, your price at shelf. It it is up to the retailer. So, okay, fine. And then on the flip side, if you're a manufacturer, all your inputs, you can't tell, you know, your strawberry manufacturer to sell you strawberry at a different price. They set that price. So you're sort of squeezed in the middle a little bit here um, where, um, you know, pr- the price of strawberry is going up, but you may also have committed to retailers a certain price. And uh, you yeah. can't change it. And so I think the challenge for smaller manufacturers that are maybe limited from a cash flow point of view is I can't hedge commodities. It's not like I can buy enough strawberry to last me three years and just keep it in my giant freezer. I don't have a giant freezer, nor do I have the cash flow to have that kind of inventory. So I'm sort of at the whim of global markets for certain commodities. So that sucks, right? That's one side of it. And then the flip side is, if I want to raise my price, I have to go to war with a retailer to say, here's my new price. And in a lot of cases, they want you to justify that price instead of just saying, you know, all my inputs went up and I need to maintain my margin because I'm a business. They sort of say, well, tell us about your inputs. They, you know, they have forms to fill out. They have, they have a lot of hurdles to jump through just to raise your price. And it's sort of like they can determine a shelf price, but then they can also squeeze a manufacturer on their price, their wholesale price. So there's like a, there's a lot of challenges in that middle zone. And, and so I think for us getting through that is, is just a, it's a constant battle, right? So we're gearing up for a production run this spring. Um, and you know, the price of inputs has gone up a few things that I still have an in inventory, right? Stuff that is shelf stable. Well, okay. Luckily I bought that at a time when the price was lower. And so great. That sort of benefits me now. But I have to think like, if I have to tell my retailers that my price is going up in a lot of cases too, I have to give them tons of notice, right? The retailers say, you can't raise your prices without giving us four months notice. So should I just constantly give them four months notice? Hey, it's going up, it's going up. Or do I like to kind of hold it at the year, but then my margin gets squeezed all year and before it pops. But by the time it pops, you know, you've got finished inventory, but you've also, the price of those inputs has gone up. So it's it, it's a real mess to manage it's when it's just, you know, one or two people in a very small company. Especially now what's going on is we come into COVID. Uh, 
who can predict half these things? You, you don't know what's going to be next. Like you, things happen. Look at look at the war in Ukraine when it's done to oil. I don't want to go totally. There, but you know, it's and yeah, it's not even just oil. It's it's the fact that you know the supplier who's selling me sugar has to raise their price because the cost of their you know overseas freight has gone up because containers have gone from 2000 a container to 8000 container or whatever so they have to charge me more for sugar it's got nothing to do with the price of sugar of course. in some cases right and yet little us is getting affected by those global supply chain issues so i want to i want to switch topics right now and and something i'm very excited about that i really love what you did february <laughs> yes february that is uh how the heck did you come up with that idea that is so innovative. And tell tell the audience, what is Freebrewery? So come up with it. Explain. Yeah, we got a few minutes left. Talk about Freebrewery. Yeah, yeah. Freebrewery uh, was born out of the challenge that a lot of brands like us face, which is we're a new brand. We're in the natural food space, and what really will uh, help our business is awareness and trial. So, in the pre-COVID days, awareness and trial means me with a pint and a box of spoons, putting spoons in mouths, right? Getting people to try it and go, mm, oh my God, this tastes amazing. I'll take a pint. The, 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 the cost away. <laughs> yeah. right? that, that, is, that works because it works. So yeah. Yeah. in pre-COVID times, we would do events, especially in the summer. We were driving around with a banana car. We were giving people mouthfuls of ice cream all over Ontario to really get the buzz up and get yeah. people to try it in the hopes that they now have heard of the brand, they have a great feeling about it, and maybe they'll put it on their list and buy it, right? Try it, buy it. So the challenge was, it's, you know, 2020, COVID had really decimated everything that was happening at uh, retail as far as sampling, right? There was just no sampling. The stores were like, we can't do that. We're asking people to wear masks. Um, and so, you know, I came up with this idea of like, well, what if we could find a way to get somebody to try it, but really they're just learning about it because there's a thing happening, an event, they're still going to go to retail to buy it. Or for certain other brands, and this is how it evolved, maybe they can ship a sample. We couldn't ship a sample. So we ended up doing a BOGO coupon. But the gist of it is the more brands that come together, the more of, of an event, the more buzz there is and the more momentum. And so... So the, so the idea is you get a lot of brands together, they use their own um, assets, right? So for me, you know, I've got a pretty big email list. So when I email everybody, hey, Freebuery is happening, the, the little hot sauce maker um, and the person who sells, you know, t-shirts and uh, the granola bar folks, they get to benefit from the fact that the audience that I'm sending learns of their brand and exactly. vice versa. So it's very much, so I use the term stone soup, right? If you've ever heard that fable, the stone soup is like, you put a big pot of water on everyone in the village throws in like almost nothing. And by the end of it, everyone's having a good time because you have this big pot of soup. I get it. So there's, there's nothing in there, but so the idea for brands is like, it doesn't cost us anything to send an email to our own audience, but if a hundred brands, send an email to their own audience about this thing. And then we juice it a little bit with some partners like cattle field agents, sampler, uh, Reby, right? All these people that are sort of tangentially in the space of finding value, 
um, you know, working with brands and retailers, right? So they're all connected. And then we layer in some support from organizations like Ontario Made or the Retail Council of Canada or others like that, that they want to see us all do well, but they don't have like a consumer, they don't have something to sell. They just want everyone to know about it. So they can send an email or, you know, do stuff, right? So it's, it's kind of like the momentum of everyone getting together. And then the idea was we make it a month that's fun, right? So you've got sober October, you've got Movember, uh, you know, Veganuary to kick meat. How about Freebuary to get some value and learn about brands? So that's, that's sort of how it evolved. Um, just a month, right? And then when the month is over, so here we are in March, the month is over we're sort of gearing up for what will happen next year. Right. So there's, there's still videos and stuff, but ultimately those brands will hopefully plan an even better deal to get more people. They'll plan. How are they going to promote it instead of, you know, sort of last minute, it'll be a little more thought through. So everybody's, we've done it two years now. Everybody kind of gets better the following year, which no, is it's, amazing. It's a fabulous thing. And you did yeah. interviews of entrepreneurs. There were mm-hmm. free giveaways. It was it was like fun. It was fun. I get these. It was emails. super fun. It was a lot of work for me. But, Bruce, check but, if you want. <laughs> it was really cool. You know, we could talk. We could talk for hours. And I think yeah. I think what you're doing is awesome. And I think Freebuary is awesome. And I think you're awesome. And uh, and really, and I wish you. We'll end. We'll end our call here. We could again. We can talk. But again, I'm my. My thing is, I want to keep these short because I think people, as I mentioned earlier, people are zoomed out. <laughs> I think they are for sure. They're not. I think so. I think the people's attention span. Let's keep it short and sweet. And and Andrew, I really don't go. We'll chat after. But anyways, I really appreciate you took the time to uh, to to do this. And I thank you. And it's I my wish pleasure, you much Bruce. success with Yellow Fruit. I know you have plans for Yellow Fruit to scale it more and Freeware to scale that more. And I wish you all the success in the world for this year and going forward. And you take care. Have Thanks very much. Day. You too.